Good morning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have taught us in your word to pray for those who rule over us. So we pray for our president and, and our vice president and our senators and representatives and Supreme Court justices and, and our governors and so many local and state officials. Oh, we pray that they would know you. We pray that you would give them wisdom to lead so that there would be the opportunity for your church to function and the gospel to spread throughout our land. We pray for the civil government to restrain evil. We pray for your church. Holy Spirit, fall fresh on us. And may the gospel spread so that, uh, so that human nature is remedied, that, that disciples are made who make disciples so that our nation turns to you. Lord, we're here today because we want to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. So as we open your word together today, forgive the one who speaks. Holy Spirit, fall fresh. May we fall back in love with you and may we go out this week and share with others what we've learned today. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This morning we're going to read from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, and we're going to start reading in verse 13. Then they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement. They came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. They brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him. Uh, we are a Presbyterian church, means we have elders. And in July, at our elders' meeting, uh, our elders said to uh, us, Will you help us? Will you equip us? so that we might know how to love our neighbor in a divided world. And, and so today's a, is a hot topic. It's called loving our neighbor in a divided world. And I, and I want you to know um, where we're going. It, this message is not how to solve all the problems in our world. But it is. My desire today is to equip you, like I want to equip our elders, of how to love our neighbor in a divided world because Jesus calls us to love our neighbor, doesn't he? And uh, could we agree that our world is divided? How about our own country? Isn't it divided? I mean, we have the coronavirus, and, and that divides people, and masks somewhere, and some don't, and that divides people, and we have racial divisions, and um, did you know we're having an election this year? <laughs> and, and that divides people. And I want to share something with you that you might not be aware of, but that is that the world has always been divided. Did you know that? From the time of the fall when our first parents sinned against God, listen, human, and, and then Cain murdered his brother Abel, the world, the, all of history is one of division, of divorce and domestic violence and racism and wars. It's, it's been a divided world ever since. And I really encourage you to read history. If you'll read history, you'll realize that we face challenges, but people always have. This week I'm reading a great book called Seven Great Women. Seven great women, and one of the great women is Susanna Wesley. Susanna Wesley had uh, 19 kids. 
Uh, but, but two of them were John and Charles Wesley who started the Methodist Church. Now, uh, the king for part of Susanna's marriage to Samuel was William and Mary. And uh, Samuel loved King William and Mary, but Susanna didn't. You know what she said? This is back in the 1700s. Not my king. Does that sound familiar? Aren't there people today who say what? Not my president? Did you know that she said not my king because he was Dutch? And um, so, so her husband Samuel loved the king and queen. She didn't. And he would pray for the king and she wouldn't say amen at the end of his prayers. And Samuel, a pastor, did I mention he was a pastor? He was so upset that his wife disagreed with him politically that he left his wife and his children because of their political differences. He just left them. So listen, the idea of families or people being divided politically, it's nothing new. Matter of fact, the story we're looking at today, when Jesus came to the world, the world was very divided. Differently than us, but it was divided. There were Jews and Gentiles, and the Jews hated the Gentiles, and the Gentiles, what they returned the favor, didn't they? They hated them. And I want you to know, even Jews were hated. Jews were divided. Jews were divided politically. On one end of the spectrum, you had the Herodians, and I'll tell you more about them in a minute. And on the other end, you had Pharisees, and they were polar opposites. So, if we want to learn how to love our neighbor in a divided world, it would be really good for us, what, to open up the Bible and see how Jesus did it, right? And that's what we're going to do. And I want to equip you with something today that I really believe will help you love your neighbor in a, in a divided world. Here's the point of the message today. Jesus exposes the fallacy of an either-or argument. One of the reasons people are so divided today is they see things in an either-or manner. And I'm going to help you see how Jesus in this story exposes the fallacy of an either-or argument that everything's either-or. Okay? Now, let me set the story up for you a little bit. It's Holy Week. It's the last week in Jesus' life. On Sunday, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and was welcomed as a king. On Monday, he cleansed the temple. On Friday, he would die on the cross. This is Tuesday. And then they, the religious leaders, sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to him. Now, we don't realize they're opposites. See the name Herodians? You ever read through the New Testament, you keep running into someone named Herod. There was a whole bunch of Herods. They were a family, and they had kind of a, a puppet government of the Roman Empire in the, in the area of Israel. So Herodians were those who liked Herod's family. They liked Roman culture. They liked, Roman, they, they liked everything Roman, okay? They were kind of cosmopolitan, okay? And then you had the Pharisees, and the Pharisees hated the Romans, thought of them as occupiers. They believed the only good Roman was a, was a dead one, right? So normally the, the Pharisees and Herodians hated each other politically, but they were united by an even greater hatred. They hated Jesus even more than they hated one another, and they were determined to find a way to put him to death. So notice what it says. They came together in order to what? To trap him in a statement. Wow, I always say we live in a gotcha culture, don't we? That people try and ask you something, so you say something, and then they say what? 
got you, and then they try and force you to lose your job or to shame you, right? And listen, that was a got you culture. They were trying to get Jesus to say something that they could say, got you, right? And then they would have what they wanted to put him to death. See, it's amazing. If you study history, things don't really change a whole lot, do they? It was a got you culture. They were looking for Jesus to make a statement, and they came up with this amazing plan they knew was foolproof to trap Jesus. They came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you were truthful and defer to no one, for you were not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. <laughs> Do you smell that? I mean, I'm a dad. I have six kids. And like when our kids would say, Oh, Daddy-o, there's many dads in the world, but none as wise and wonderful as you. You know what's coming, right? They want to they wanna get something, right? And so they're saying all these things. Jesus knew they hated him. They knew what he was doing. But here's the trap. Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Is it lawful? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? They presented to him an either-or argument. Should we pay or not pay? That's it, either-or. Now let's learn from Jesus how he exposes the fallacy of an either-or argument, Okay. Um, but he, knowing their hearts, said to them, Why are you testing me? One of the things that can really help us in a, in a divided world is not to be quick to answer people, but to do what Jesus did and ask a question back. And people might ask us, Well, what do you think about Black Lives Matter? And instead of answering it, we, well, what, what do you think? Isn't that what Jesus did? He asked a question back. Why are you testing me? And then he said, Bring me a denarius to look at. They brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? It's really good to ask questions. It makes people think. It makes people articulate what they believe, and that's what he did. And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. So he didn't give them an either-or answer. Here's what he said. God has given you life. And God has given you breath. And God has given you all good things to enjoy. So love God, obey God, and follow God. And then he said, you're a part of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire has brought peace to the world. And, and there are roads that you travel on. And for the benefits you receive from the Roman government, pay your taxes. He says you can do what? Both. And listen, what he's saying to us is we can love Jesus and follow Jesus and, and we can be good citizens of our country at the same time. So <clears throat> Jesus exposes the fallacy of an either-or argument. They had this perfect trap, but notice Jesus escaped and they were amazed at him. How did he get out of that? Huh. So let me help you a little bit with an either-or argument. Some things are either-or, aren't they? Isn't that true? I mean, you're either alive or you're dead, right? It's either or. And you're born in the state of Alabama. You have to make a decision, don't you? I mean, it's either or, isn't it? You're either going to what? You're going to pull for Alabama or you're going to pull for Auburn. But it's what? It's either or. And when it comes to Jesus, it's either or, isn't it? You either bow your knee before Jesus and say you're Lord or you say I won't bow my knee. It's either or. But just because some things are either or, it doesn't mean that all things are either or. Uh, and you say, well, what's not an either or? Okay, husbands, husbands, have you stopped beating your wife? Have you? 
Well, yes, no, no, no. You can't answer that, can you? It's not an either-or question, is it? You can't answer it. Well, hopefully you can't, right? And so there are questions in life that are not answered with an either-or answer. Now, I really want you to understand, there's a, there's a book I read. I really encourage you to read it. It's called The Coddling of the American Mind. The Coddling of the American Mind. It's not a Christian book, but it will give you a great insight into our culture and what's going on. And the third untruth in the book, the third untruth in the book is the word, it's us versus them. It's us. Do you ever see that in our culture? This is what the book says, that the prevailing worldview is us versus them, that the world is divided. It's divided into good people and bad people. So everything's situated with us versus them. And I want you to know the gospel cuts right through that. The gospel cuts right through that, says that is a false view of the world. The gospel teaches there is only one good person. How many? One. There's only one good person. The world's not divided into good and bad people. There's only one good person, and his name is Jesus. It's not you. It's not me. It's Jesus. And listen, that we're all flawed. We're all flawed, and we all need Jesus. Listen, when I look at people, it's not us versus them. There's Jesus who's good, and we're all whether we're Christians or not. Listen, we're flawed, and we all need Jesus. We have so much in common with everyone, don't we? So let me help you there. In Isaiah 53, verse 6, we, we have the bad news of the gospel, don't we? Will you read the goal part with me? All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Let's do it one more time. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. So the Bible says how many people have sinned? How many? All of us. So don't we live in a time where people say they're bad, we're good? <laughs> but what does the Bible say? What? We're all sinners. All of us have said, leave us alone, God. Each of us has gone our own way. We've not honored our parents or spoken the truth. We've told lies. Listen, we've not loved our neighbors ourselves. We've all sinned. We're all sinners. That's what the Bible says. That's the bad news. But the good news is there is one good person. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus is God who put on flesh and, and came to earth to save us because we couldn't save ourselves. That's why he went to the cross. And so the second part of this verse, and somehow I lost part of it, so I'll say it to you, okay? It says, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. So Jesus came, lived a perfect life, then all of our sins, they were placed on Jesus, right? And he paid in full the penalty for our sins, didn't he? And then he rose on the third day, and he offers us salvation, he offers to save us from our sins and sin's penalty, from wasting our lives, to save us for doing life with him and doing eternity with him, right? And what does he require of us? In Romans 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You know what the word confess means? To agree with. <laughs> that if you agree that Jesus is Lord, not you, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if you believe that Christ died and rose for you, you will be saved. 
Listen, confessing Christ, believing in Jesus, really is as simple as ABC where we admit and believe and commit. It starts where we admit we're sinners, where we say, Jesus, I've sinned against you. You want to know what would bring healing in our nation? When people admit. It's not just other people. It's what? It's, it's me. It's me. Wouldn't our country be more humble if more people said, listen, I'm a sinner? That's how you start to be a Christian. You say, listen, I'm a sinner. It's not just others. We admit. Have you? And if you haven't, won't you? And then we believe, right? We believe that Jesus died and rose for us, won't you? And then we commit to Jesus as Savior and Lord. Jesus, I want you to come in and forgive me. You know what happens when you're forgiven? You become more forgiving toward others, don't you? Couldn't, couldn't we use a little more forgiveness in, in, in our country? That's what happens when people are forgiven. They forgive. And, and Jesus, I want you to give me eternal life. It's saying, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. Today, the rebellion against you stops. Today, I surrender. From now on, you lead and I follow. And, and if you've never done that, won't you? Won't you admit and believe and commit? And if you have, I want you to know the Bible says you're saved. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So once you believe the gospel, you need to preach it to yourself over and over again so that we begin to see the world through the eyes of the gospel. We should see the, God, the world very differently than the people around us who don't know Jesus. Because when we look around our divided country, what do we see? That there is one good person. His name is Jesus, that we're all flawed. We all need Jesus. Listen, the gospel also teaches in a very similar way that people are made in the image of God. Listen, if we want to learn to love our neighbor, we need to understand that people are made in the image of God. And yet they're scarred by sin and in need of a Savior. Notice the top, that people are made in the image of God. No matter what color someone is, no matter what language they speak, no matter what their ethnicity, all human beings are made in the image of God and have great value. But it's also true that all people are scarred by sin. By sin, no matter what your ethnicity is or what language you speak or what color you are, all people are scarred by sin. We're all sinners. And you know what we all have in common? No matter what language we speak, no matter what eth our ethnicity, no matter what our color, we all need Jesus. And when we believe in Jesus, when we believe in Jesus, then Jesus becomes our model, our model for life and ministry. And living in an either-or world, it's so important we follow Jesus as he exposes for us the fallacy of an either-or argument. So... Let's take a few things in our culture that are either or and learn how not to fall into that argument. Let's take the coronavirus. Does that divide people today? It does, doesn't it? But, but can't, we, can't we believe that it's, the virus is real and dangerous and yet say, listen, we shouldn't be controlled by fear at the same time? Can't we believe both? Can't we believe that it's real but encourage people the greatest thing we can do is to know Jesus? Because when you know Jesus, you can live every day of your life knowing that living or dying, it, listen, it doesn't matter so much as it does to others because we believe that to live is Christ. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Doesn't that change things? Can't we point people toward Jesus while we acknowledge, yes, it's a dangerous disease, but we don't have to live in fear because we can believe in Jesus and know we'll live forever? Um, 
How about police? Uh, can't we be against police brutality, can't we? And at the same time, believe that police are, are necessary and important? Can't we believe both, can't we? I mean, <clears throat> I'm a Christian, and uh, I believe in the sinfulness of man. And what do you think would happen? What do you think would happen in our country if there were no police? What do you think would happen? Do you think it would go well? Do you? Have you ever read history? It would, it would unleash unbelievable violence and bloodshed because people are sinners. I, I believe that. At the same time, I believe when someone has a gun and when someone has a badge, they have tremendous responsibility. And, and, and when, they, when, they don't follow, when they don't treat people fairly, that they should be held accountable for what they do, don't you? Can't you be against police brutality and yet realize how important they are at the same time? Uh, how about race? Uh, how about race? I hear people say, well, we've made progress. And other people say, no, there, there's so much racism. Can't they both be true? Can't, I mean, we have made progress. But listen, we still have challenges, don't we, with personal racism and with institutional racism? We do, don't we? I want you to understand something about racism, that racism is not a battle once, won once for all. It's not a battle that you win once, and from then on, everything's fine. Racism, like all sin, is something that we battle every day in our hearts and in our institutions. Let me illustrate. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that the Holocaust happened, was it? And listen, when the Holocaust happened and the Jews were exterminated, it was both a personal racism, wasn't it? But it was also what a institutional racism. And when that ended, people said what? Never again. Never again. But isn't anti-Semitism a growing, isn't it growing in, in, in Europe and in our country? Listen, it's not a battle that's fought once and for all. It's a battle fought what? Every single day, both in our lives and in our institutions, isn't it? Oh, can't we rejoice that progress has been made and, and still be brokenhearted over racism and personally and institutionally, can't we? Take the three words, black lives matter. Uh, can we not affirm that and yet believe the organization black lives matter is not something we should support, can't we? I mean, three words, black lives matter. Can't we all affirm that? That's, that's true, isn't it? And isn't it important sometimes to say Black Lives Matter? Uh, and you say, well, what do you mean? 1939, Germany. Would it, have taken any cold, would it have taken any courage for a Christian in 1939 in Germany to say all lives matter, would it? You know what Christians needed to say, don't you? What? What? Jewish lives matter. Because they were the ones that were being led astray to extermination, right? What Christians needed to do was to say Jewish lives matter. And so when, when, when there is police brutality, when our, when our uh, black brothers and sisters and neighbors feel threatened by our country, it's very appropriate to say what? To say what? Black lives matter. They matter to God. They matter to us. But listen, the organization Black Lives Matter is very different than the three words. And I encourage you, if you've not gone to the website, 
go to the website and just read. Don't take my word. Read for yourselves what the uh, organization Black Lives Matter stand for, and you'll find out that it's very anti-Christian. It's anti-family. And it says that the family is a Western idea, and you need to know it's not. It is a biblical idea, and the Bible is not Western. Did you know that? The Bible is not European. The Bible is Eastern. It comes from Israel. It comes from the East and not from the West. So listen, it's possible, and it's what we should do as Christians, is to affirm that Black Lives Matter without supporting the organization. We can do both. Take our country. Take our country. Um, there are so many things about our country I love, don't you? Can't we love our country and acknowledge her flaws both, can't we? We get to meet together today. Do you realize only 25% of the people in the world get to do this? We get to meet openly and worship Jesus together. We get to share the gospel freely in our country. For that, I am incredibly thankful, aren't you? And I'm so thankful for so many people who've sacrificed so much for me to have this freedom. <clears throat> but there are many things about our country that break my heart. And number one is that the most important verse in the Bible cannot be taught in our schools. The first verse in the Bible is the most important verse in the Bible that says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you want to know one verse that could solve all the problems we face in our culture. It's that verse that we cannot teach in our schools, and that breaks my heart, doesn't it you? And it breaks my heart for the racial inequities in our culture. It breaks my heart. Doesn't it break your heart? And you know what breaks my heart? It breaks my heart that in America, children are not safe in their mother's womb. Doesn't that break your heart? And you know what breaks my heart about our country is our civil government is so arrogant, they think they're wiser than God and have attempted to redefine marriage. And not only have they attempted to redefine marriage, but they want to take their new definition and impose it on all of us. And not just on all of us, but on all of the world. And these things break my heart. Don't they break your heart, don't they? Listen, we need to avoid the, the fallacy of an either-or argument. With so many things, it's both and, okay? And that's what I want to equip you with, with that knowledge that Jesus exposes the fallacy of an either-or argument. And then now I want to turn a corner, and I want to help you. I want to help equip you to love your neighbor in a divided world. And so what I want you to do as an action step this week is to follow Jesus. Jesus lived in a divided world, and Jesus loved his neighbor, and we need to focus our eyes on him and follow him. We say as a church we want to make disciples. And we define a disciple as a follower of Jesus who has three great loves. And if we're going to love our neighbor in a divided world, these three loves are very, very important. If we want to love our neighbor in a divided world, we must love Jesus first. <laughs> oh, don't you love, in our passage we read this morning, that they were, what, amazed at him? Oh, uh, one day someone shared Christ with me and I said, man, I've never met anyone like him. I want to follow him. Have you done that? Are you amazed at Jesus? Is he your greatest love? Do you want to follow him? Do you? Because I want to tell you something, that if you love Jesus and you follow him, the world will hate you. Are you ready for that? 
If you follow Jesus, the world will hate you. Matter of fact, listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 1 verse 10. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. You can have people in our culture really like you, or you can follow Jesus, but you can't do both. Uh, <clears throat> now, Paul wrote this. Do you realize that when Paul loved Jesus and followed him, everybody hated him? Did you, did you know that? Did you know that Gentiles hated Paul? You know why they hated him? Because he was bad for the idol business. All the people who made idols, when people came to believe in Jesus, they quit making idols. He was bad for the economy, and they hated him. And, and do you realize, you know, why Jews hated Paul, right? Because he didn't share their racial views, and he actually ate with sinners. Paul knew to say yes to Jesus was to be hated by the world. Um, do you love Jesus? Do you want to follow him? You will be hated. Um, I really encourage you. There's an NBA player named Jonathan Isaacs. Jonathan Isaacs, he plays for the Orlando Magic. He's an African-American player. Uh, this week, um, he, there was a, a game, and, and everyone else on the team kneeled during the national anthem, and, and, and he stood. You think you'd explain to someone from 15 years ago that that's, like, um, controversial to stand? But anyway, he, he, he didn't stand, and he didn't wear a Black Lives Matter shirt like all the other players. So after the game, he's interviewed. And listen, if you want to know what it looks like to love Jesus... If you want to know what it looks like to stand alone and stand against our culture, just Google Jonathan Isaac's interview and watch him. He's amazing, 21 years old. And he's attacked because he loves Jesus and loves his neighbor. And they kept attacking him, and he just kept coming back to the gospel. He just kept coming back to the gospel saying, I believe there is one good person. The rest of us, we're all flawed. We all need Jesus. Over and over again, he would come back and say, all people are made in the image of God. All people are flawed. We all need Jesus. He did an amazing job. And then the next day, he tears his ACL. And all these people rejoice. He got what he deserved. Um, Want to love our neighbor in a divided world? We need to love Jesus first. Want to love our neighbor in a divided world? We need to learn to love one another, to love one another in the body of Christ. Let me show you in John 13, last night, last night of that last week, and Jesus had washed his disciples' feet. And notice what he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. See the word one another? The Old Testament said we should love our neighbor, and we should. But when you see one another, he's saying, I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another in the church. He's talking about in the church, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also loved one another. I've loved you so that you can love one another in the church. Here's why that's so important. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. People are looking for a loving community. And when they see it, they say, listen, I want to be a part of that because that's what I long for in my heart, and it's so different from the divided world in which I live. So what that means, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another, when a member of our church says something really stupid online 
or in person, and one of your friends says, that idiot goes to your church, what do you do? You know what you say? Yeah, we have some really stupid people in our church, but you know what? We're family, and we love one another because Jesus loved us. Come on, there's someone in your family like that, isn't there? Come on, in your family, there's someone who's crazy, isn't it? You say you can't think of anyone? It's probably you, right? But listen, when someone says something dumb online or in person and someone points it out, say, yes. Listen, the church is filled with stupid people who say stupid things, but we're family. And we love one another. And they'll be shocked because that's what people are looking for, a place where they can say something stupid and they're not kicked out. And you know what that means? It means when someone in the church hurts you and disappoints you. Listen, don't run. Don't run. That's your opportunity. That's your opportunity to love people the way Christ has loved you because people are looking for a community where you can mess up and still be loved. And isn't that here? And listen, what Jesus is saying, if you look around the room and everybody doesn't look like you, we need you to stay because, listen, if we only look around and see people who look like us, then people won't know we're Christians. But when people look different and we love each other, they'll say, what do you have? And that means on Sunday when you see someone who doesn't look like you, go up and welcome them the way they've welcomed you so that we puzzle people and people say, what is it with you people? Uh, to love our neighbor, we need to love Jesus. We need to love one another, and we need to love the lost. Isn't that why we're here to love lost people, isn't it? Uh, why did Jesus come? Jesus said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus came because people were lost, and he wants us to love lost people because he wants us to win them to Christ. And so how do we do that? The first thing that we do if we want to win lost people is we pray for them. We pray for them. And how did Jesus teach us to pray? This is, this is so good. In Matthew 5, verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Don't you love that? I mean, that sounds good to me. You love people who look like you. You love people who vote like you. You love people who act like you, and you hate everybody else. That's what? That's us versus them. You love us, and you hate what? Them, right? So, so that's the way the world goes. The world is divided into us and them. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who are different from you. Pray for those who hate you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And when you love your enemies, people will say, wow, there's something different with you. You're like your Father. Strangest thing happens, I think, when we pray for our enemies. When you start praying for people you disagree with, people are mean to you, you know what happens? They're no longer the enemy, but you see them as human beings that are made in the image of God, that are scarred by sin, who need a Savior just like you do. Uh, so listen, to love the lost, we need to pray for the lost. To love the lost, we need to <clears throat> uh, learn from Jesus about how to ask good questions. Listen, when they asked Jesus, shall we pay our taxes or not, notice how he responded back, why are you testing me? He asked them another question, whose likeness and inscription is this? 
Listen, when someone asks you, well, what do you think about the police? Why don't you ask them back? Well, what do you think about the police? What do you think would happen if all the police walked away? Do you think it would go well? What makes you think that? What in human history would help you get there? Why not ask questions instead of always being answering them? Um, thirdly, let's learn from Jesus to, to expose the fallacy of an either-or argument. And, and you say, well, how do we do that? Look at this great verse. If we want to avoid the either-or argument, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 21, look at this verse, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good and abstain from every form of evil. When it's a person or an organization or something, then we want to examine it carefully, right? And what's right we want to affirm, and what's wrong we don't want to have anything to do with. Uh, let me illustrate that. In 1934, there was a pastor from Georgia who went to the Holy Land. He was an African-American pastor. Maybe you've never heard of him. His name was Michael King, but he went to the Holy Land in 1934, a once-in-a-lifetime trip. And after he went to the Holy Land, he went to Berlin, Germany, uh, to an international Baptist conference. Oh, what it must have been like to have been a black pastor in Berlin in 1934. While he was in Berlin, he started reading about Martin Luther, and he became fascinated with Martin Luther, and he decided to do something dramatic and radical. He changed his name. He changed his name from Michael King Sr. to Martin Luther King Sr. Ever heard of him? So then he had a five-year-old son whose name was Michael King. Probably haven't heard of him, but he changed his name too. And he changed his name to Martin Luther King Jr. Now the reason he changed his name was because of Martin Luther, the reformer. And I want you to know that Martin Luther is one of my heroes. He was amazing. He stood up against the Roman Catholic Church. He recovered the doctrine of justification by faith and the authority of Scripture. But Martin Luther didn't get all things right. He was wrong. He was wrong about race. Martin Luther would write some racist things about anti-Semitism that many years later Hitler would use to justify what he did in the Holocaust. So listen, when it comes to Martin Luther, is he one of my heroes? Absolutely. And when he was right, I want to affirm it and say it was amazing. And when he's wrong, I don't want to defend it. It's indefensible. But this week I was wondering, I wonder if Martin Luther King Jr. ever asked his father, Martin Luther King Sr., why did you name me Martin Luther King Jr.? And you know what I believe his father would have said? It was for the things he got right, son, and not for the things he did wrong. And so people ask me sometimes, well, well, Smiley, what do you think about George Washington? What do you think? And I say, well, gosh, he was our first president, and twice he was offered the opportunity to be king, and he walked away. Who do you know? Who do you know that gives up the opportunity to be a king? But he did. But he also had slaves, and that's indefensible, and that's terrible. Can't I admire part of him while I don't defend the rest of him? Can't I? And can't you? So listen, let's pray for lost people and, and ask questions and, uh, and be careful of the fallacy of, uh, of an either-or argument. And lastly, let's win them with love. Win them with love. That's what Jesus did. In Romans chapter 12, 
In Romans chapter 12, we read, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Uh, a lot of evil in our world, is there? You ever feel like you're overcome by it? Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And you say, well, what does it look like to do that? What does it mean to win people with love? How about Jesus on a cross? He taught us to pray for our enemies and love our enemies, right? And what did he say from the cross? He said what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. <laughs> didn't he love his enemies, didn't he? Matter of fact, the way he loved his enemies was so powerful that one of the thieves said, man, I want what you have. And Jesus said to him, what? Today you'll be with me in paradise. And one of the guards, when, when they saw how Jesus loved his enemies, one of the guards said, what? Truly, this was the Son of God. Jesus was not overcome by evil, but he overcame evil with good. And, and that's what I want us to do this week. I want us to win people with love. And one last story, we're done. Um, I'm going to make a lot of enemies now like I haven't already, but uh, I don't like dogs. <laughs> oh, you terrible person. Now, I used to like dogs. I used to like dogs, but I run a lot, and I have been attacked by so many dogs you wouldn't imagine. That's why. So this past week, I go out my front door one day. I go out my front door, and a neighbor's walking by with his dog off the leash, a golden retriever, but I told the dog, I don't like you. <laughs> but this golden retriever was completely unfazed. You know what he told me back? I don't care you don't like me. I'm going to win you with love. And he, you know what he did? He just, I, the whole time he's coming toward me, I said, I don't like you. I don't like you. I don't like you. And it didn't deter him a bit. <laughs> and you know what happened within a minute or two? You know what happened? I was bending over and I was petting this dog that I had formerly hated because he won me with love. And I thought, what would it be like in our community? What would it be like in our community if we were like golden retrievers, that we went to people and said, I don't care that you hate me. I don't care. I'm going to win you with love. What would happen this week? I mean, that was one golden retriever. What would happen this week if 1,000 golden retrievers were unleashed in our community? Listen, who said, I don't care whether you hate me. I'm going to win you with love just the way Jesus won me. Wouldn't you love to see what would happen? Let's pray. Jesus, we are so glad that you won us with your love. Thank you. Thank you for coming to seek and save the lost, for living and dying and rising, so that sinners could be forgiven and saved and live forever. And listen, if you've never believed in Jesus, won't you? I mean, he's here. Won't you admit to him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry? And won't you believe, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And won't you commit to him? Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. <clears throat> I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've done that for the first time, won't you mark it on your card? Won't you let us know? We'd love to celebrate with you. Jesus, I pray for those of us who have believed in you that we would follow you this week, that, that we would love you, that we would say today, I want to follow you. I want to love you. And Jesus, I pray this week you'd help us to love one another. 
when we don't look alike, when we disappoint each other, when we hurt each other. Help us to love one another well so that people say, I want to be a part of that community. And Lord, I pray this week that we would love lost people, that we would pray and ask good questions and, and avoid either or arguments. And Lord, that we would win people with love the way you have loved us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.